0: The party began here in West Lafayette. One of the top five places to watch a college basketball game. I, I would argue you can't find a better one. Three
1: on the way. Bullseye! Ah! I feel the electricity in the house. The
2: passion. It's a wall of sound. Here oh, back.
0: Get his play They
2: go a wall. of back for three.
1: This is the Boiler Ball podcast.
2: Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman. Episode 82 here on the podcast. Hard to believe we've done 82 of these, but we keep uh, keep cranking them out here on the podcast.
1: And the good news with all 82, whenever you offer the uh, the invitation, they always say yes. So yeah. As long as they keep saying yes, we'll keep doing them.
2: We've yet to be denied. And another guy <laughs> that did not deny us, Doug Lee, joins us here on the podcast. Uh, Doug, th- uh, thanks for, so much for taking time today to uh, to be on the podcast.
0: Oh, no, I'm glad to be here, Elliot, Rob. And, uh, it's a privilege and you said '82. That was the year I graduated from high school. So maybe there's uh, some reason. <laughs> there we go. A little karma. a Little karma
2: work in here. I like it. There you go. I like it. So, uh, Doug, talk us through. Um, oh, we always kind of like to start these off and kind of get, get back to the your uh, your the, the guest childhood or kind of origins. Um, Illinois. Uh, I know you're from Washington, Illinois. Born and raised there.
0: Yeah, born and raised. I mean, actually born in Peoria. Everybody, I think, is born in the Peoria hospitals, but uh, grew up, grew up in Washington for sure.
2: So, talk to us about what life was like growing up in Washington, Illinois, for a uh, young young kid in the Midwest.
0: Well, I mean, I think uh, you know when you say typical small town, I'm not sure if a lot of people understand what that means today. But you know, then it was probably about nine thousand or less people, and just I grew up the youngest of eight kids, and dad had worked at Caterpillar. Uh, end up working there 37 years. So just grew up around uh, an atmosphere where I had five older brothers and a bunch of cousins and, you know, just a lot in a small town, but it was always uh, uh, just, I I think very competitive. You know, Mm. I think that was the part that, I think today trying to trying to tell kids is like you know you, it's just different today you know with so much <laughs> a, AAU and everything else going on but growing up was <laughs> was you know I think the biggest thing for me was always uh, as I tell people's work ethic I think that's probably the number one thing that I learned at a very very young age was you know you work hard and you do things with integrity and you know more than any type of sports thing. I think that ultimately, that's what served me well through sports and served me well in life. Was just having that that work ethic built into us. Since uh, you know, if we were tall enough to, well, not even tall enough to reach the handle. If you could push a lawnmower, you're you're out. You know, you're you're <laughs> yeah. out mowing yards. So
2: yeah, we. Uh, I was talking to that the other. Day. I was talking about that the other day with um, Calvin Williams, one of our associate ads here. Um, and we were just talking about guys kind of breaking into whether it be the the real world, so to speak, and jobs. Or we were in this case, we were talking about getting into coaching. And it seems like nowadays, younger people they want to go from zero to a hundred. They want to jump right into the you know the VP chair, or they want to be, hey, I graduated last year, and now, now I get to be a full time assistant coach. And it's like, I don't I don't know. If People realize kind of the to allude to what you said, the hard work and the steps that it takes to kind of get to, um, you know, the better jobs, the upper echelon coaching positions, things like that. Um, A lot of people, if you go back and look at resumes, there was a lot of stops along the way. And it seems like that, that they want that fast track nowadays instead of kind of earning their, you know, paying their dues to get to where they want to get.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of, we still, my wife and I still work with a lot of youth over the years and thousands and thousands of kids, whether we counsel with uh, couples or families. And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, youth today, I saw a study a few years ago uh, that came out of one of the major universities that said that, you know, when people graduate from college uh, compared to when we grew up, you know, we'd say it took, you know, 25 to 30 years to achieve the wealth of our parents. And, one study said that uh, you know college, college graduates are expecting that in less than five years. And so <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know where that's come from, but I think it does add a la- layer of, of uh, pressure. And yeah. I think from the th- from the other standpoint too is just, you know, we grew up respecting our elders. You know, I learned so much in business and running companies anymore just from uh, people that have been through it and done it. And I think that's why the Bruce Webers of the world that I respect so much is because they just really paid their dues, yeah. you know, and, and uh, the real deal, they're not, they're not faking it. And I think it's, it's just admirable to me when I didn't, when I decided not to go into coaching, um, just to family and so forth. And Bruce was a big part of that. When I talked with him, just saying, I want to spend time with family. And, and I think but I so respect that that work ethic and, and paying your dues doesn't seem like uh, a lot of young people want to do that these days. Yeah, <laughs>
1: uh, and just so you gentlemen know, the broadcasting business is not immune to that either. Uh, <laughs> young people graduating from college with a degree in broadcasting wonder why they don't just start at ESPN yeah. <laughs> hosting SportsCenter right away and try to explain you probably need to start out at a small town radio station and montana or missouri and you work your way up from there so yeah. yes diff- different to occupations vocations not immune to that either
0: no so, i was talking to steve lavin here a while back about that because i was trying to help a young kid into broadcasting and he couldn't understand like you know he's only been out of college uh, not even two years and trying to figure it out And i called steve to, to be able to talk with him and you know, they just don't understand what what it takes. And I shouldn't say that for all, because there's a lot of good young, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of a lot of the young kids and so forth. Right. Growing up in the social media world and what they have to face. But, no, it's it's a definitely a different world today.
2: So one one theme that I think we've recognized uh, as we get to know some of our former guys and growing up and everything, seems like when siblings, when multiple siblings are involved, <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is a uh, – a pretty healthy uh, appetite to compete and uh, to be blunt just beat each other's brains in when it comes to competition so talk about growing up with your brothers in the in the sports world and whether it was a basketball court baseball diamond or, or football field um, were you guys competitive in sports growing up Oh, very competitive.
0: My dad was not a sports dad, but again, back to work ethic. He's just like if you do it, you know, do it one hundred and ten percent. And if you are going to complain about it, then don't do it. You yeah. Know? And man. so, I think you know, baseball for me was probably the easiest sport for me. I was far more blessed playing baseball growing up, and I just got bored with it coming into high school. And still, a lot of scouts and people in our area always bug me about that, you know, saying that <laughs> you know you would have been major league baseball player for a long time. I just I love the action and you know, I was the second best athlete in my family, I, one of my brothers was you know three sixty dunking at five foot eight, wow. and so <laughs> you know uh, yeah, he was an incredible incredible athlete by the time I mean he was probably as I remember as I got older, probably five ten five eleven and that he only grew to like five eleven but you know he was definitely the best athlete in the family had brothers played baseball, but always competitive, I think you know a lot of times going. You know, home crying because you didn't get into a game or, <laughs> you know, or something, you know, when you're young. But I always had the privilege to play up, as they say, you know, with older people all the time. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I, I just remember spending so many years feeling defeated but never quitting, you know, when I'd come back, my brothers, if I'd start crying about something as a kid, they're like, you know, stop crying and suck it up and play. And, and, you know, it really, it really can seem today. If you do that, (laughs) I think that parents, parents get not only criticized for it, they get turned in, I think, or coaches, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think, I think everybody getting a ribbon mentality has definitely not served our country. Well, I don't think, or society well, but.
2: Well, and it forces it. It forced you to like, you know, do it, do it hard or don't do it like your dad uh, told you. And uh, so how how much of an age difference between you and all your brothers did you guys when you got into like middle school, uh, high school? uh, Were you on the same team as these guys?
0: no my oldest brother was uh 11 years older than me oh, okay. okay um but uh the next one to me actually has lee automotive in illinois he was uh the mechanic of the family and still today has race cars and all that stuff and classic cars but um i was another so there's a few years age gap between the next but i think that was good though because wanting to always play with them, you know, it was five or six years older. And so, as you can imagine, you know, I, I remember I moved out of one house at seven years old. I remember there for years, we're so probably five to seven, you know, that just going out and trying to fight to get in pickup games and <laughs> yeah. hit a shot or, you know, uh, hit a baseball and those type of things. And, you know, I just think that even I'm guilty of it as a parent, you know, today to try to make up for what you didn't have growing up. And sometimes I need to just let go and, and let things happen, you know? And I think that's the biggest advice I give to parents and counseling anymore. It's like, you know, you don't want anybody to fall off a cliff, but the reality is, you know, you got to let people kind of find their way. And, and uh, you know, my, my family was great at that. Again, my dad being a factory worker, not a sports guy, uh, he was a fan. Uh, don't get me wrong, but he was just always on work ethic, you know, and making sure when we mowed the yard, we striped it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you go out and mill a yard for five bucks and if you didn't stripe it the right way, he would tell you to do it over again or, you know, um, and I just, again, that serves me really well today.
2: I can relate to that. My wife's always asking me to, why don't you pay somebody to cut the grass? I'm like, no, like (laughs) then it it won't be done the way I want it done and it'll drive me absolutely nuts. It won't. (laughs) Yeah. I can relate to that a great deal. Um, So uh when did you get your uh your growth spurt so to speak because you're uh you talked about your brother's height um at what point did you kind of get to a height where uh you started to figure out that that was a pretty good pairing for for the game of basketball
0: well you know i mean for me it wasn't really about height i mean i did hit a growth spurt um uh, you know i went into i think i was probably the freshman in high school i was only probably you know, five, nine, maybe or so. And by the time I was a sophomore, I was six foot three. So, you know, that's, (laughs) I did hit, I did hit that spurt, but to me having, uh, you know, brothers that I had some that, you know, were six, two and so forth, but the one bill that I always looked up to that was shorter, but such a good athlete, you know, I never had an excuse because of his height. And so I just always, I guess I was also too one of those kids. I mean, people tell me, I don't always recall that, but, they would uh, say that I would say when I was five years old, six years old, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm going to play professional sports. And you know, I remember always dreaming of that. But being in a town where nobody had ever done it, um, I think, was another challenge, right? Because yeah. you say you say to people and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, everybody says that. <laughs> yeah. but, but being the first professional athlete out of our city um, was – it was, you know, it, was, it really has paved the way for a lot of other players. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just always believed, you know, I had the poster of Dr. J on my wall, like a lot oh of kids did growing up and, you know, looked up to a lot of baseball players, different people, and, you know, got the privilege to meet Dr. J, which was cool over the years several times to see somebody kind of live up to the hype yeah, um, even more. But, um, I don't know. I just, I think dreaming, you know, and even today and stuff that I do, uh, Visionary type things where people just, you know, they don't get it, but you just kind of believe that you can do it. And I think that makes up for a lot the mental part to, and of course, the physical, you know, come along, be able to jump and, you know, run fast and, you know, do those things are definitely blessings that I took for granted that you realize you were given a lot of God given abilities too. So, you know, I would say I really recognized between my freshman and sophomore year because, as I said, I was a better baseball player, but basketball just presented such a challenge athletically. I still think it's the most athletic sport. People argue that, but I think it's the most athletic sport in the world and requires, you know, the most, I, I, just, I just think, athleticism, period. Um, and that just always attracted me, you know.
2: Yeah, I would agree but, with the athleticism piece of basketball. I mean, it's one, first of all, you're playing both. You're, you're playing all aspects. You know, everybody's expected to play offense, defense, rebound, pass, shoot, every, everything. Um, and it's nonstop. I mean, you're, you're constantly going, uh, you're constantly in motion. Um, now, I know, I know, I feel like I know a little bit about Washington, Illinois, because your brother's in law, your brother in law, is Todd Foster, uh, big, obviously big part of our program and still part of our program now. And I know just from his description. So how many how many kids were in your uh, high school class and how many how many students were in the school total? Do you remember that?
0: Uh, We actually, I think still this day had the largest class. I think we had like 450, which was huge. I don't think they've even come close to that. Um, But I think the overall uh, attendance was like 1500 or something like that. um, Within within the school, we were barely into double A uh, you know, they had just single A and double A, which I love. I, I hate all the watered down levels. Today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, because they'll talk about people going to state, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, almost, <laughs> it's almost laughable compared to what it took to, to do anything of that before. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was great. when We had single A, double A, we were ranked in top of the state my senior year a lot uh, I had a really just good program. I think it was Another thing with the Midwest basketball, people kind of talk about nostalgic-wise, and I don't even think it's that way so much today, but, you know, during the, my playing days, you know, standing room only, I mean, people would squeeze to get in the doors to watch warm-ups, yeah. you know, and and so many guys that I've met from California to the East Coast, uh, you know, they can't even fathom that at high school basketball. Right that was that was pretty special during those days
2: yeah rob gets the privilege of calling some high school games occasionally and uh it's it is one of those things where uh even back uh i'm not not as old as you are but but even back when i played in the late or mid 90s it was you know still a really big deal i mean it was one at that point over here in indiana was still one class and you were going into gyms on friday and saturday night to packed houses and I remember at one point somebody talking about getting your tickets ahead of time because it would be sold out, and when you explain that to people now, they look at yeah. you like,
1: well, yeah. you got to be kidding me. And to your other point, Doug, you know, the number of classes now. I, I actually worked in, in the state of Illinois for five years doing high school games, and, and I look back now, and, you know, they talk about, well, we're going to the state championship. I'm like, oh, really, what class? 8A, right, or 7A yeah. or 6A? I'm like, what? <laughs> there are that many classes? Or, holy cow.
0: It's a it's a hard subject, Rob, because right. I get asked that question, you know, multiple times a year on different type of things or broadcasts or something. And people ask me to want to compare to current, you know, Washington high school teams or in the area. And boy, I just avoid that. That question. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's I think the biggest thing was, is that. You know, so many people will walk up over the years and say, hey, I was never as good as you because I never played professionally. And I look back and say, if you started on a high school team in Illinois and Indiana, I know in the 80s and even early 90s, it's like, it was crazy, right? I mean, that that was quite an accomplishment. And it still is today. Now, I don't want to take away from that. But it definitely had, you know, when you're playing against the Chicago teams, we were beating my senior year in high school. And and you know some of the top teams, you know, respected in the country, is just a different thing, right? Yeah. And uh, you know Peoria basketball, which has an incredible legacy. I still stay in touch with a lot of the Peoria basketball players. Just a ton of great players, you know, all the way up to Sean Livingston. You know, yeah, just retired and so forth. But at the end of the day, I think um, it just, it's just—it's just not the same thing. I mean, the pickup games we used to play in Peoria, Illinois, and go over there and just. You know, from a very young age, I remember my brothers getting me out of the car and and saying, hey, you just need to go play with these guys. They're the best. And, you know, kind of hesitant, but then they end up becoming some of my best friends over the years. And just what a privilege to be able to go as a 10, 12-year-old and go into a gym in Peoria, Peoria Manual or whatever, and and play with the top players. And, you know, be able to win a conference like that my senior year in high school is still one of my greatest memories. So I tell people... You know, they again, they always come up to you and apologize almost if they didn't make it to the level you did. And I'm like, hey, if you you started on a high school basketball team, you were pretty darn good.
2: That's awesome. What So talk about how that you guys win the conference that you're in high school. Talk about the feeling, what it was like in the town. I'm sure the town rallying around you guys and just like as you talked about, the sold-out gyms, the packed houses and things like that. Uh, What did you guys end up doing in the tournament that year?
0: We ended up losing in double or triple overtime in a super sectional to Peoria Central. You guys know Peoria Central, Peoria Manual. We'd beaten them uh, just prior, but they had, you know, Tony Weisinger played on a lot of great players on yeah. that team. And, uh, you know, it was just an incredible, incredible game. I, uh, I know just the other day I did an interview back in Illinois and they said I had like 36 points and I don't know, 12, 15 rebounds or something. I don't, I a lot of times don't remember stats, but when the guy said that, I said, I just remember it being such a competitive game. And, you know, the comment was, had we won that game, we probably were better equipped to win state. Uh, a lot of things have to happen. I do think we were really, really, really you know, definitely, I think one of the greatest teams out of, out of Washington, but yet, um, we just had good players. You know, we had we had gym rats. You know, I, I look back and say we had, you know, five to six guys that would go together and play over in Peoria together all summer long for years. I mean, uh, Derek Funk, who is a point guard off that team, is still one of my best friends. and And, you know, I speak to him almost daily. And, and he lives in California now and has for a long, long time. But I think just growing up and bonding like that into a team atmosphere, again, I keep saying this, but it served me well in my professional life later on, just understanding what team building is. But, you know, what a privilege. I, I think that high school memories are still some of the greatest. Yes, we didn't end up, you know, winning a state championship, but definitely the pride of the town. Uh, just the support to this day, the mayor Gary Minier there, who I adore, there in Washington, and just so many people there from my hometown that that uh, you know just will say to me all the time. I'm 57 years old, and <laughs> when I when I go back to Washington, it's like you know it's like I never left. And and people will talk about games and all those things. And be candid, I don't remember them all,
2: but I'm very thankful. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But So recruiting-wise, you're in high school. You guys are having success as a team. Um, I'm very interested to to hear kind of how your recruitment went um, and then what ultimately ended, uh, you know, led to your decision because you started your college career at Texas A&M.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing was, and when I say this, it kind of seems crazy today because it's commonplace. I think they recruit third-graders anymore, but, (laughs) you know, Uh, My sophomore year in high school, Texas A&M took an interest because there was a local guy there gone to Texas A&M, and so you know that was impressive to me, being from a small town. And and I'll stay away from all the 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 recruiting and how things went. And not to be negative about any college, I love Texas A&M, but I went there for a lot of reasons outside of basketball. Yeah, Um, I had never you know seen campuses like that. I'd never the treatment when I got there to that campus, I was, you know, starstruck. And, and then I end up, I signed with them. Um, and then I end up getting MVP in the Illinois all-star game.
3: Mm. And
0: so I had, you know, every, and there was a ton of schools coming to me. There's a dear friend of mine. Again, a lot of these guys, are, when I say friends, very close friends, Doug Altenberger, yeah. who was at Illinois, him and I battled back and forth in that Peoria conference all the time. And are great friends today, but his dad had went to University of Illinois, so University of Illinois was recruiting him, and, you know, then people were kind of saying to me, hey, if we don't get Doug, and, you know, then we want to come there, and, you know, I had the Bobby Knight stuff calling, and, and I just, I just, uh, I just really, uh, Texas A&M was on me so early. Um, and I loved the school. It was great. Matter of fact, I had a great career starting off there. And then I got hurt really, really bad my sophomore year, which then led me to want to transfer um, for multiple reasons. I mean, the coach was in, you know, thought he was going to lose his job and wanted to bring me back, wouldn't redshirt shirt me. Um, and being one of the top sophomores in that conference, I mean, one of the top five right at the beginning of the year, I was really frustrated because I kind of found out from a politics level early that, it didn't really matter. They just, they wanted you to play ball. And yeah, yeah. I, I felt I felt like I need to get back to Midwest basketball. I developed a lot of bad habits, uh, partying-wise and different things. I'm very transparent about that with people today. And, you know, I ended up in the recruiting process. I kind of know the next question, so I'll move on a little bit. <laughs> I, got a letter, I got a letter from Larry Bird about going to Indiana State. And really? Day, yeah, wow. and everybody this day says that I would have, you know, probably been the top 15 pick to 20 pick had I played a school like that because I was a scorer. But when I went to Purdue and visited the genuineness of coach Katie and saying to me, like, you're a heck of a player, but you got to earn your way through this, but we really want you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, but the reality was that wasn't what I was hearing. I was hearing from other schools, you know, you're going to start here. You're going to be our leading scorer. You're going to do all these things. And Coach Katie just, it really bugged me because he was just like, I really want you here. You know, Eddie Sutton said you're an incredible basketball player and there are great things and it'd be great to get you, but you're just going to kind of be one of the guys. I've already recruited Troy Lewis and Everett Stevens They're already here, so I've got my shooters and scorers, but I know you can do a little bit of everything. And I'll tell you this day, It was crazy because professionally, yeah, probably going to another school would have would have been a lot higher draft pick and all those things. But I wouldn't trade it because the experience and work ethic and the things that he really picked up on from my upbringing, yeah, um, was is just spot on. I mean, I love that Coach Katie said to me, you know, I went to carry quad. If anybody knows. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I go from having an apartment, the nicest sports dorm in the country. <laughs> um, I won't mention what else I had. We'll leave that alone. But the, but the reality was, he said, if you come here, you need to stay in the dorm. I don't, you know, NCAA violate none of that stuff. I won't touch any of that stuff. I need for you. And it's just, he probably said all the opposites of what I heard. And I'm like, I can't figure this guy out. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And he did He did say to me, I believe if you come here, we got a great chance of win a Big Ten championship, and I think you're the missing piece. Um, and that was probably the only kind of crazy complimentary thing he said to me. <laughs> and and I said, I'm in. So The, that, the
1: great that, irony to that, Doug, and I'd actually, I'd read uh, the story you're telling. I'd read you in an article that you've told this story before, so I... I'm listening back to you here and hearing you say it, and what re- what really strikes me, and I thought this too when I was reading the article, think about all the young men that are involved in college basketball today, when they're recruited, being told, hey, we don't need you to be the top scorer. Hey, we don't want you to be the top scorer, but you still end up going to Purdue anyway. I think about all the young players out there that are like, all they want to hear about is, hey, you're going to be our guy. You get to shoot all the time. You get to be the guy that scores all the points but it was exactly the opposite spiel that Coach Katie gave you that ultimately is what brought you to Purdue. To me, that, that just seems uh, so unfathomable unfathomable in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, well, Rob, it's crazy because, you know, you look back in life and, and you know, I can talk about my professional career, the, you know, broken bones and all the things that happened and the contracts I almost signed and all the things that go on. When you look back at where I'm at now in life, you know, God had a purpose. Faith is very important to me uh, for a long time now. And it's a part, even though I wasn't strong in faith there, Steve Scheffler was one of was a great influence to in me. He was kind of my freshman. And so he used to talk to me a lot about faith, and I could talk about that forever. But I think the reality is, is that everything that happened to me at Purdue Um, Being a huge scorer and, you know, Coach Katie being able to look, you know, in high school and and in Europe and all that stuff and Coach Katie looking over at me in big games and saying, hey, you know, he just gave me that look like I need you to score. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people came up with a stat about nationally televised games. I was always leading scorer and all those things. That wasn't a point of I thought about national television. It was more just Coach Katie giving me that look and saying, I need you to do it. You know, and, and that was a part where I always felt good because I loved uh, Todd Mitchell, Troy Lewis, Everett Stevens, but you know, they were used to being scorers. They were, and I was too, but at the same time, Coach Katie really put a lot of trust in me. He said, Doug, I need you to do all the other things in order for us to win. And I really took that to heart because, you know, he just had a knack of getting the best out of you and. And quite frankly, it made me a much better, rounded basketball player. But I would say, again, life-wise, um, it made me a much better-rounded person and individual. And that I'll be eternally thankful for.
2: So I, I, I'm very curious. When you were at a And M, what conference were they in?
0: Okay, so trivia question here. So uh, the Southwest <laughs> Conference. Okay. And who was and who was picked? My freshman year, I actually started uh, at point guard. You guys are going to flip out at this, but um, I started point guard, uh, Alvin Robinson was on the other side at Arkansas and, and so forth. And I didn't have a turnover that game, but I backed my way down the court every time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, But we were actually picked ahead of, hold on to this, by Slamma Jamma. Really? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So it's wow. kind of a trivia question. Oh. We had incredible talent. One of the reasons I went there. But, uh, and again, this is not a knock on the school. It's probably more, and I'm so close to a lot of those players now, thanks to the Lord, uh, that I played with on that team as well. I still stay in touch with them. We help former players at a and uh, whether it's financially or just supporting in any way that we can. Um, so they're definitely part of my family. One of my roommates there, Jimmy Gilbert, the will always be a friend forever, 6'9". Uh, I almost got him to Purdue. If we had, I think we would have won the national title for sure. Wow! Uh, But, uh, you know, just a a dear friend. But it was uh, – A&M was was, uh, a special experience. I just – when I got hurt my sophomore year, I really found out the politics because I went from starting, playing great, seventh game, tearing my ankle apart, having a screw put in my foot, to where I didn't get the red shirt. They wanted to keep me playing, and I just never was healthy. So – transferring made a lot of sense nothing against the school it just did because i needed a sit out year to get my my ankle fully healthy again and so kind of everything worked out
2: sure i think i was really curious because i don't think um i think and i didn't even realize that houston was a part of the league then uh but really good basketball i mean as you know arkansas had it going um, you guys had a very good team. Obviously, the Faisalama-Jamma team speak for themselves, but really good basketball. Now, what were the crowds like down there, and then when you come back to the Midwest here, and now you're playing in the typical Big Ten venues, was there a difference in crowds, or were there crowds down there as I good was, as as was Oh no, the,
0: crowd, the crowds were crazy down there, but the, uh, they, they had a you know, partial that was military there at Texas A&M, and so there was always, you know, look at 12th-man football. Right, know. right. I think, I think, again, I want to be very careful not to criticize the school of what it was because I had great memories. And I do remember this, though. I remember going into the locker rooms and not having the same intensity level after a loss. That frustrated me because mm-hmm. I even had one of the players say to me, hey, this is football country. It's not a big deal you know, just enjoy it. Wow! And, and, you know, as a freshman, you know, I'm, I'm throwing things against the lockers and, you know, mad that we're losing. And, you know, there was a few guys on the team that had the same mentality, but I'd say overall football was bigger and, you know, I just didn't like to lose. Yeah. And so yeah. When, you'd, when you'd lose, um, you know, it was more mentality. Hey, enjoy the place you have, the car, the everything else going on. I shouldn't have said that probably, but everything else, <laughs> going on, you know, everything else going on and kind of that life. And again, Texas a m is an incredible school. They have incredible programs. I would recommend, I did, I just recommended a kid go there. And, and, uh, but yeah, it was just a different time, you know, football in the, in the mountain West, I mean, in the Southwest conference at that time and still is, I mean, it's, 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 it's an experience, you know, and, and so, uh, Kevin Murray, who was a the quarterback there, you know, Kyle Murray's dad and so forth. You had, you had a lot of, uh, I used to, uh, you know, eat lunch with some of the NFL. The guys are in it Ray Childress and so forth. And, you know, it was incredible, incredible programs, but it's just different, you know, and I just did not like, I didn't like losing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it was just a different mentality that, uh, I would be crazy upset about it with maybe one or two other guys in the locker room and everybody else kinda of like, Hey, it's all right. I'm like, No, it's it's
3: not all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you
2: know? So you you were when you came to Purdue then, um, you know, so our listeners know, uh Purdue wins the Big Ten in eighty four, coaches first Big Ten championship. Um, and then you come in for the 85-86 season. Uh and at that point, you know, coach Katie had was pretty established. He was winning 20 plus uh, you know, games a year. Um obviously the Big 10 was loaded, uh but we were kind of a I would say probably an up and coming team or program at that point if that makes sense. Um you talked about the players on that team. Um and how coach kind of said we've got a really good team and you might be the missing piece. Uh talk us through that your junior year in that 85-86 season you guys end up uh, winning 22 games going 11 and 7 in the Big 10 a lot of success um you know what was that like uh getting back here and and playing Big 10 ball
0: well i think that you know the the kind of you know i know we're taking a lot of time here but the middle the middle uh that year i sat out was key because i had to sit out that year before I, you know sitting on the bench when Bobby Knight threw the chair so you know I was thinking, that <laughs> game but but uh You know, I think for me, it was critical for me to be in the locker rooms with Kevin Stallings, Bruce Weber, Coach Katie, because I was able to become more of a coach on the floor because I could see it from the perspective. It's so different when you walk in the locker rooms and the players go out onto the floors. I never had that perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And And so to sit there and realize how the coaches are talking about players and You know, and being very blunt, you know, this guy's not getting it done or this is happening this way or, you know, this person's lost his confidence or his focus and we need to adjust and do these things this way. You know, I started to realize like not to take things so personal, you know. Um, Coach, Coach Katie always said, you know, I remember getting upset one time in practice and him yelling at me and he said, Doug, you know, I can't believe you got upset because basically he told me, he said, I know I can yell at you and I not have to worry about it. And that was the last time I ever, you know, even partially tried to say something back to Coach Katie. It's not a smart idea. But <laughs> but, I, but I but I think but I think sitting sitting out and seeing what coaches actually talked about helped me more. So going into that next year with Matt Gaddis and you know, Herb Dove and, and these guys and uh, uh just understanding where those guys had veterans had been there and paid their dues in the program and the respect of seniors get with under Coach Katie's programs and the power and authority that seniors get. I just really felt like that year for me was just getting back into basketball. I was always frustrated. The only thing I was ever frustrated produced Purdue is like I always felt like I could score so much more and I was like holding back to kind of always doing other things. But, but yet, it, again, it, it helped me in the long term. Um, but amazing, amazing. I mean, I think uh, they used to show that LSU game. Somebody said they showed it again last year on ESPN Classics replay, because I think it was rated. You know, when we lost in the first round. I think it was rated the second best game next to the title game of that whole that whole NCAA tournament. It was a heck of a game. Have to go to LSU and play on their home floor, and they make the final four. Yeah, and I think that was at least a double overtime game, and and uh, you know so. It was a a great year. I felt like we could have had a lot better record, but we won big games, and and really just that competitiveness served me well going into my senior year.
2: Well, a lot of people mentioning that game, a lot of people don't realize that there was, there's a couple incidentally rules that actually Coach Katie had a hand in uh, in getting changed. One was playing on a a team's home floor uh, in the tournament, and that got, done away with but that was that was on with that that was on their home floor wasn't it at the Maravich Center
0: it was on their home floor and the thing is look they make it to the final four and a lot yeah. of things have to happen but <laughs> yeah. I think that was one team I don't think Herb you know Herb Robinson is I'm sorry I'm not Herb, uh, Herb yep. Robinson he <laughs> kill me on that I realized when I said that but Herb <laughs> was uh was an incredible player and he actually gave up you know kind of a starting position to me or, and so forth, and and but what an incredible player! I think that team was probably more underrated than a lot of teams because I do believe had we gotten past that game, was it unfair? You're playing at LSU, Florida. I remember Coach Katie getting so upset about that. Yeah. But, but the reality is, we win that game. You know, one bucket goes a different way, and maybe we get to the final four. I mean, yeah, we were we right. had, we had that squad, and and yet. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy to go out in the first round and then realize they make it to the final four, and then see that game ranked as the second best game in the NCAA tournament that year. Um, It was, it was pretty special.
2: Yeah, they didn't let teams play on their home floor after that. And then the other rule that coach was a part of was the cooling off period after a (laughs) uh, after a loss. They let the uh, the losing team uh go second in the press conferences so those coaches could cool off a little bit so coach Yeah was, exactly. Coach was <laughs> yeah, involved in a couple of those.
0: Yeah, uh, no for sure. It definitely uh yeah, he was he was fired up for
2: sure. So 86 87, you guys um, did that motivate you the way that the year before ended because you know, a core of the team is back, right? I mean, Troy, Todd, Everett, yeah. yourself, you know, you guys are kind of rearing to go. Was that, a, was that a driving force as you entered that next year? Because you guys basically were in the top 10 the entire season in, in 86, 87.
0: Yeah, we were, you know, I still feel like, yeah, Indiana wins it all. We beat them by 10 points before we get the NCAA tournament, and that's a whole other thing I'll let Coach Katie address as far as how we got sent out east, you know, yeah. as, a seed, as a seed we did um again politics it is I'm not sitting here making excuses it is the way it is that my hat's off to Indiana they you know to win even if you get in Indiana Indianapolis is still a lot of things had to happen and, and it did for them but I do feel we were a better team than that team uh, the Indiana team for sure uh, I, I know we were it was just a part that um you know it was it was really I think going into that season for me yeah, the, the motivator before, but just realizing, hey, we're no longer a secret, Yeah, and we wanted to go out and prove that we were for real. And I think that's what was good. That was just the competitiveness and, you know, me being moved to kind of like a swing position, like a three guard or a small forward, which, uh, you know, I bulked up a lot. Did a lot of things need to do to be able to play that position. I just love the challenge. I love the challenge of going out and guarding the Dallas Comedies from DePaul or whoever it could be uh, over the years, and and being physical with them and and be able to hold my own at maybe not as tall as they were, and and so no, I just think overall it was like, hey, we're no longer a secret now. Let's prove we're for real. And that was, uh, you know, we had a lot of national televised games. So, you know, yeah, Dick Vitale being into your practices to you know just you were in the spotlight all the time that year uh, being ranked where we were the whole time And it was just an incredible time i think for the conference you know i mean you had iowa you had illinois you had so many good teams uh, yeah so it was, it was really good
2: i'm curious your personal highlight from that year
0: well i think i think for me and it's gonna there's a there's a few reasons yes the i think playing again on national televised games i like louisville and so forth and just you know, realizing that, you know, I need to step up and score. That was always fun for me because I always felt like, man, if I, you know, I'll just start shooting more in situations where I'd see other people, maybe not taking the shots. I was never one that didn't want to take the shot. So as soon as I would see anybody else kind of like hesitate, I'm like, okay, you know, I need to do this. And, you know, I had great support of guys like Tim Fisher that that, you know nobody may talk about so much. It's a doctor there that in the Indiana area there, but you know, I just had such great support and confidence from other players on the team, you know Ryan burnings you know uh, I'd go on and on at players that were just just very, very good to me and always as they'll say looked up to me, but that built confidence and so for me, what was the highlight? you know, winning is my highlight when you win. Um, When we lost, uh, I guess we won that first game in in Reggie Lewis' The Reggie Lewis Show. That was something I really took personal. Mm. And, you know, God rest his soul, he's an incredible player. But I was really, really frustrated by that. I remember going back, I was married then, still, you know, married to Becky 36 years, gets better every day. But, you know, I remember telling her, like, if I see one more Reggie Lewis thing that's going on, I'm going, you know, and I basically said to her, she said, you know, I said, I'm going off on this guy (laughs) and I had, I had 29 and 13 against them and felt like I could have scored 40. I I still played my role, but yet um, that's when I realized like, you know, I can play at the highest level. I knew that I could, but I knew I could score at the highest level. And it's just a part where I really took that personal. And I know everybody just said to me, like, after that game like what the heck and i just said i got so tired of people talking about <laughs> that that something had to happen and so that was probably a highlight for me personally as far as a challenge um the low light was going out and seeing Dwayne shins have the game of his life and that we weren't really worried about him it's a seven foot center the next game and yeah and you know he has the game of his life as you know Vernon Maxwell and everybody's told me since is that, you know, we hadn't really had those type of games. So that was, you know, you go from a high to really a low. Yeah. You know, and I, bro- I broke my nose again for my third time in college, made that <laughs> second game, and it was just, uh, that was tough. Really, really tough.
2: Did you hit a game winner against Illinois here in Mackey?
0: I did, you know, and the whole thing is, is that um, I tell kids this all the time because they'll still tune into uh, YouTube and all that stuff. Yeah. And was, man, you hit that shot and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, but but I guess the thing for that, it was, I guess, somewhat of a highlight. But yet, um, you know, the fact be told, I think the lesson is, I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn before that shot. (laughs) And and the reality is walking in the huddle and having – you know, when people said we're drawing up a play, I just said, I'm taking the shot. And I remember saying, I'm, I'm going to shoot it. And, and, and Kevin Stallings was already drawing up the play for me to shoot it. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, the credit goes to him, to Kevin, to, to drawing up such an incredible play. But I think that was the part I do remember. Like when I would go in high pressure situations, there was never a doubt because who's going to take the shot. And I always felt that like, I walked into that huddle knowing I hadn't hit a shot the whole time, but like, I'm going to hit this one. And, and that's the confidence I was always blessed with. And, and just, yeah, it it was, I mean, people still talk about that shot a lot, but I remind a lot of kids that, you know, I missed a lot of shots to hit game winners. And (laughs) and that's just kind of how it goes. Well,
2: that game, uh, Purdue was ranked fifth. uh, Illinois was ninth. It was in Mackey and overtime uh, game 87, 86. I, that is, that might be as a, as a ten year old that might be my one of my earliest Purdue memories um i ne- I can p- close my eyes and picture it like it was yesterday, sitting in my living room with my dad, and we were watching that game, and you hit that shot, and I ran around the house screaming my head <laughs> off it was it was awesome, so that was oh, uh, yeah
0: pe- people still sell it say it in Illinois. I mean they just as soon I remember Kendall Gill who was guarding me on that, so I get the nBA right I walk out Kendall was come out you know Top draft pick, all this stuff, yeah, and I walk on the floor, and the first thing he walks over to me and says he said, man, i'm never living down that shot. Down. <laughs> <laughs> as a, as, and he was young, I think he was a freshman, i think but but uh yeah i, I don't you know mackey arena uh was it 14,123? is that what it held yeah, it's yet? a little different now, but yeah. for, but fourteen thousand yeah. yeah yeah, it was a part for me when you had people camping out to get tickets. I remember walking over the and seeing tents set up, you know, a little different with Ticketmaster, all the you know Stub yeah. Hub and all that today. But I just, it was such a cool thing to be have. Uh, you know, I I, I still and uh, football teams had some great success. But I remember uh, WP WTBS banner uh, on national TV in a football game, and and seeing it say "Wait till basketball season,"
3: <laughs> you know,
0: uh, and and just the things that just around that I. I'm so thankful for the fans at Purdue because they really need to know and understand how much I appreciate the experience. I don't follow a lot of basketball that much anymore. It's kind of odd, but when I decided not to go into coaching in 2000 in the NBA, I, I just kind of focused on family and faith and, uh, you know, those things and, and, you know, running companies or being, you know, just the challenge of, of, in the corporate world. But I just, I just want to say thank you. Elliot, to you as well, and Rob, you guys being around. I mean, I, one of the assistants in the office had said to me, You're going to call a day, and who's Elliot? you know, And I said, I've known Elliot for a long, long time. And I just think people that understand the tradition, what happened, I so appreciate that. But it was, I just want the fans to know just how much that I really, really do appreciate them giving myself, my wife, and my family since just the experience of Purdue basketball. and. I just can't say enough about how thankful I am.
1: Well, you'd be happy to know, Doug, they do still camp out for, uh, you know, two (laughs) or three games a year. The students will still camp out the night before. And I would be be interested, being from the Peoria, greater Peoria area, when you decided to transfer, was Illinois in the picture at all? I mean, I would have thought there would be some pressure to maybe transfer to the home state school.
0: Well, uh, Doug Altenberger and I talk about it often. We're very, very close. Um, he loves the Lord. And one of the reasons we're, we're even you know, closer than we've ever been, but it's a part where they had Doug Altenberger, right? Oh, yeah. and, and the reality of it is we've been asked that question so many times as to why didn't you and Doug go play together. I think it would have been incredible uh, for us to both play because was, he was very hard-nosed. I would say he was even more of a floor general than I was um, he'd always say I was more athletic, but at the same time, um, I would have loved to play together with him. I think it would have been incredible to do that. But yeah, there was pressure. There was a lot of pressure from home to say, hey, why aren't you going there? Um, I can't say enough. My brother lived in Lafayette, Indiana, and he said, you need to go You know, meet Coach Katie and stuff. And, and I remember Eddie Sutton telling me, Hey, you know, Purdue would be a good school, but just don't stay in the Mountain West Conference. I mean, in the Southwest Conference. You know, and that's kind of funny, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, he wanted you out of there. He was... Yeah. So <laughs> was the
0: part where he was like, hey, you know, uh, I think it'd be a good program. It's just, it's the craziest thing. Everybody thinks about it, this high level recruitment and everything. It was just Coach Katie saying the right words. I remember Bo Jackson talking about his coach and saying that, you know, out of all the people when they visit him in the living room, that Bo said, you know, the, the, his coach was the most honest and just said, you know, this is the way it's going to be, and I'm not promising you anything. And when Coach Katie said me that, I've been promised so many things uh, in my in my younger life related to sports up to that point that I just think that just integrity and being candid and open and honest—that's what you want. You just want an opportunity. And I think it challenges you even more. Purdue definitely challenged me because I was so frustrated because I always wanted to go out and just shoot, 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 shoot. And I realized that was not my role. And so, um, but just quite an experience.
2: Well, you had a great two years here and uh, and uh, on the court and uh, a lot of wins, uh, a lot of points, um, and that Big Ten championship as a senior. And then you... Kind of turn the page on and move on to your professional career. And when I was going through all the stops you made, boy, what a wild run. You, you get drafted in the second round. Uh, the Houston Rockets take you. And then you go on uh, quite a journey. Um, you, you play in some, a lot of different leagues. Uh, you were over in Illinois, in the old part of the Illinois Express. You went to Tel Aviv and played overseas. Played in Rockford, Grand Rapids. And then uh I think the quite an unusual route because then you get into the league, play with the Nets, uh and then go back overseas, and then back in the league with the Kings, and then back overseas to Italy, and then wrap up in places like Rockford Lacrosse and then finally after all this 12 years later in Vegas. So just an uh quite the professional journey in in professional basketball I, I don't know if i've known if I've seen another bio that has that many different stops at that many different levels
0: yeah, i mean, it was crazy you know my agent uh i didn't have a good agent coming out of out of school. And, you know, that was the collective bargaining year. I had a guaranteed contract with the Rockets had I reported to camp, but they only held the rookies out. There's still some kind of lawsuits and things have been out there from that. I don't know if they'll ever settle. Wow. But, but uh, you know, I would have been in the league. You know, it's, it's so political because when you tell people this, I have no bitterness towards any of this because it's really grown me you into know, the person I am today and the adversity. But the reality is, is that, yeah had they not had that collective bargaining i would have been guaranteed and on the roster and once you're on the roster in the nba you got to be player of course everybody that's there it's on there they're players right but if you if you get there politically and you're under contract as as my new agent said the next year it's like you'd be there 12 years and i had a lot of offers i had a lot of offers when i went overseas and set the three-point record with the team and you know, average five of eight threes and then league 30 point, you know, some average over there, I was a huge score over there. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's not like this today, but then I was taking a pay cut to come back and play in the NBA.
2: No kidding. And so, wow.
0: so wow. you know, with the taxes and so forth, it was a different situation. So, you know, I remember, uh, telling players that came out later, you know, uh, just pay hey, you know, playing overseas, like I would have never played in the NBA. I would have just stayed overseas. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, ranked, and there's a magazine out there, my kids found a while back that, you know, ranked one like 25th or something, two guard in the NBA, the one preseason going in. And that was that's pretty darn good. And the reality is, I didn't play hardly at all because I was backing up Grouse yeah, yeah. and Petrovic.
3: Yeah,
0: and I remember I remember averaging 14 points in preseason, having 17 points and 28 minutes against the Bulls, and you know all these things and scoring and having you know 35 in summer league games against the top players and being one of the top players in the summer league, and then coming to contract and they'd be like you're getting paid $150,000 because, you know, that's where our salary cap is. Wow! Man. And, and you know, going to Sacramento was probably the last straw for me because I remember going to Sacramento and losing out on another $100,000 tax free to come back because my agent talked me into it and said, come back because you're gonna be like Craig Elo, Kevin Gamble, all these guys I played with had the same. And they'd always tell me like, Doug, you're crazy going overseas because you're gonna play years in the NBA. Guys, I can't tell you. Like, you know, I had a broken hand. It could be the first signing. The Charlotte Hornets was playing great with them. I break my hand, and they want to sign me a non-guaranteed. And I just got kind of tired of the politics. And when you're sitting there going overseas and being treated like royalty over there and getting paid a whole lot more money to play, yeah, it was, just, it, it, was it was just a different atmosphere, and I didn't like City. You know, I remember. You know, sitting with New Jersey at the start of the season and looking to coaching staff and one of the assistant coaches telling me, Doug, man, you're better than some of the players we have, but you're not going to beat out a contract. And that was the reality, you know, is that that, you know, hey, the great top 50 players, they're the best players on the planet and they're in a whole nother sphere. But the rest of us, Steve Purrs, who I totally respect, and all these guys on the line, it's just right place, right team, right situation. Sure. And that just, that just didn't happen, even though my agent tried to convince me of that. And so when I did that in Sacramento, and that basically get offered by other teams a little bit over minimum the next year, and I played well for them at the end of season, too, is that um, I just felt insulted. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm playing ahead of somebody at Sacramento that's making nearly $2.5 million a year. And I'm making just basically minimum wage. Yeah, And and that was, for me, a part of the business world that I'm now in that kind of gave me that introduction to it of like, you know, life isn't fair. But again, I don't ever want to tell people I'm not thankful because there's so many people who love the opportunity. But I just did not like sitting and I just felt it was unfair financially. Uh, and that was the last. When I went to Sacramento, I could have played, you know, two or three more years in the league after that. But I was looking at the security for my family. And financially, it just made sense to go.
2: What was your favorite stop overseas?
0: I think a team I played for at uh, Yugoslavia after drazin passed away, I played for his brother. And we went undefeated in that league. And I remember having, you know, 39, 40 points, you know, I uh, had 49 in the game when I was in France. Uh, you know, just you know, falling down, hitting shots and stuff. And I just love, <laughs> I, I love what I loved about overseas is that you had to play every single night. It was on you. Yeah. And, and I love that. You know, I was never going to be a Michael Jordan. Well, that's even an extreme example. I was never going to be, you know, a, a, you know, top three player on a team, on an NBA team. But, but the reality was when you're there, I tell people there's a lot of nBA players that went over there big names, and I'm not here to say any of them, but big names that I would play against and just kill them because they get over there and they were so you know just used to all the other guys taking pressure off as Steve Curry used to say, playing with Michael Jordan on the floor takes so much pressure off, yeah but when you're when you're there it's it's just you like you you have other great players like two or three of our starters could probably played in the league of every team I played on. But the reality is, is that I love that every night, coming and saying, you got to score 25, 30 every single night. And I just, that for me was fun because it was just a prep. I loved pressure. Um, and so that was just, it was a lot of fun. It's just, I can't really point to say one place, but that team was pretty special because I was the only foreign player on that team. And it was a top European cup team. And, uh, you know, it was really, we had good players, yeah, really, that, really
2: good players. That's awesome. So, so your last stop, I think, was Vegas professionally, and then you decided to make that your home to this day. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I was I was rehabbing an injury to hopefully go back over to Europe um, for a couple more years. Uh, I had, I was just, injury plagued my whole life. I remember Denny Miller uh, saying there, who was a trainer there, and the head of trainer association NCAA, I think for years, and, you know he just always said to me man you got to stop playing the game so hard your body's not going to hold up and my body just didn't i I've, I've had multiple knee surgeries face surgeries everything you can imagine ankle and um i thought hey i'm going to come back here there was a league setup that was you know that was before the g league And there's a league setup that was you know had gotten financed well i actually got paid very well for uh, minor league team. And, and I thought I'll do this and then go back overseas, came to Las Vegas, last place in the world I thought I'd ever go. I came in a relationship with the Lord and thought, what in the heck am I doing? Coming back to Las Vegas, you know? <laughs> and the reality, the reality was, um, I was so wrong in how Las Vegas is, you know? Um, and I just say this sin is everywhere. It's just hidden in other places. But the reality here is that I've had great community here. Um, I got involved in a company right away, uh, had an offer to go assistant coach in the NBA. And my agent then was like, you know, you'll make millions as a coach, Doug, you are gonna be a head coach in a few years. And, I, and I'll be candid, I say this humbly, um, coaching came natural to me. It would have been kind of easy for me and I'd not taken away from the price that people pay, but I just saw the game that way. And I just told my wife, I said, I want to do this business thing because it's totally different. And, and I think that um, that was really just another challenge in my life. I love building things. I've always been a part of that. All those teams that I played on, I took pride in that. And I say this, every one of those teams, you look it up, we had a better record the year I was on it than the year they did prior. And I always took pride in that because I always want to make the team better. Yeah. And so, um, so I got here talking to my wife about it, said, you know, if I go into coaching, I talked to Bruce Weber. I remember walking around my house here in Vegas and, and talking to him about it. And I said, Bruce, you know, as far as family, and he said to me, Doug, he goes, I'm just gonna be honest. Like, If you want to make family the priority all the time, coaching is probably not it. Right. And, right. And, uh, that was, I love that guy to this day. He's actually a business partner with me and companies and, and, yeah. uh, uh, him and Megan have been dear, dear friends. We used to babysit for them when I was in college, and and you know that was probably some of the greatest advice that I ever got as it related to my career because my family is very important as as his family is too. And he realizes as he got through coaching, he was committed to do it, but he was honest with me and said, "Hey, you know if that's going to be your priority, um, it's awful hard to be coaching and traveling." And I just said, "I'm done," yeah. and and really have never looked back. To be candid.
2: Well, Doug, we uh we appreciate you taking time here. We um we end every one of these podcasts with the final four questions, and it's it's four kind of off the uh, off the beaten path questions that we pose to our guests. And so I want to get to that with you now uh, here on the the Ball Podcast. And the first question here on the final four with Doug Lee is: What is your go to music of choice?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say you know, about anything Christian music. So. I listen to a lot of Christian music. My wife's more uh, country. She still listens to country, which I can uh, appreciate uh, every now and then. But I would just say, as far as the genre, that I really like Christian music. I still, I still really enjoy uh, rap music. It kind of seems crazy, but I, I, I like I like listening to anything with a really good beat. So
2: nice, okay. And, and
0: probably, probably, if you look on my phone, probably my my go to. Uh, playlist is probably Luther Vandross
2: okay there we go I feel like somebody in the past might have had Luther on there one of our past guests and I can't remember who it is but I know that name has come up before okay good good answer Uh, second question here on the final four is um, what is your favorite all-time book or maybe a good book you've read recently
0: well, I, I would say uh, my favorite all-time book, and it may seem generic, but it's for real for me because living word is the Bible today. That's the the number one thing for me. Um, I also like anything written by Tony Evans, who is an incredible pastor. Um, and I will say this: I wasn't a huge reader when I'm younger. When I was younger, but I love reading all the time. So um, every now and then, I like a good, you know, non-fiction book. But I mean, fiction book. But typically, I kind of stay. Tony Evans is probably my favorite favorite author right now just uh, I just think the guys for real and and really uh, a lot of great life lessons.
2: It seems to be a very popular take with our guest that the older they get, the more they read. I think we probably have yep. just yep. about everybody has said, made that comment that, uh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't read a lot, but now, so that's, that's always encouraging to hear, uh, for people like me who try to get their kids to read and they don't. So <laughs> well, yeah. my
0: son, my son is very gifted, started reading at a young age and, and I think that reading is just critical for people out there like yeah. when you don't feel like you want to read because it just, it's the reading comprehension is probably the number one tool, I think, in business as well.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, that sets you up for a lot of good things in life. Question three here on the final four if you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would that be? Wow.
3: You know, I, I, have,
0: I have to be honest, is that. I feel like I'm living it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I just gotta be candid. I feel like I'm living that life. I'm, I'm able to be a partner in companies and, and also my wife runs this company actually, you know, is a, is a very successful woman on small business and I, I I tell you, there's not anything else I'd rather be doing than the life I'm living to be candid. I'm very thankful for it.
2: That's awesome. You, you, the, This whole conversation, you've struck me as a very positive, upbeat person, I think. Uh... It I just kind of radiates from your uh, from your voice when we, as we've had these conversations, which is which is a, a good thing. So I, that's, uh, that's yeah, a yeah.
0: All, all, all glory to God, brother. That's all I can tell you. There so. we go.
2: <laughs> Last question here on the final four is: What is a little known fact about you, or something no one knows about Doug Lee?
0: I still skateboard as often as I can. I have one hung up on the door of my office as you go outside. So my staff will see me skateboarding around the building. Um, no kidding. What? Wow. So yeah, yeah. So I would say that's, people have asked me that. And I think uh, a while back, somebody mentioned that to me, like you never tell anybody that you, you still skateboard. So it's a drop through board with people that are skaters. will know that. So I stay pretty low, low the ground and it's a long board, but always loved doing it since i was a kid and uh, (laughs)
2: that is awesome for for someone (laughs) diving
0: and those type of things so anything that but yeah it's very very relaxing for me to go out and just take a tour on the longboard
1: for someone who has had multiple surgeries because of sports (laughs) injuries i'm not so sure skateboarding is the wisest decision there doug
0: well i'll tell you you know uh you know, Todd Foster there has had more injuries than I have. That's well, true. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not, he, I'm not recommending he gets on. Board. He's re- he's wrestling
1: livestock. though. he's yeah. not riding a
0: skateboard. But if any, if anybody knows, uh, really knows skateboarding, when I when they know a drop through longboard, they know I'm just cruising at no danger zone. So you know, you know,
2: you know what's crazy is we were uh, we were on, I was walking campus with last week with uh, one of our assistants, Coach Lusk. And we were just out before one of our uh, openers this year, one opening games, and we were just walking campus, getting a little exercise. And as we were coming back towards Mackey, there are some kids, I mean, flying through campus on these skateboards. And I just look at them and I just, I I, I guess part of me envies them. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe I just look at them with just, I, I can't even relate because I, I couldn't do it. I'd be so scared that I would hit a crack in the sidewalk or a rock or something and go flying, but I mean, they were hauling through campus. So that is, I never in a million years would have guessed that. That's one of the best answers we've That's had on the little known <laughs> facts here. That's really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely something I still enjoy. I'd love snowboarding if I can ever get, I haven't gotten back up on a snowboard for a little while, but but yeah, I, uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. I tell people that, Get you a drop through longboard, you'll be you'll be amazed at how how smooth it is and easy it is.
2: So. Wow! Well, nowadays, in typical technology-driven Purdue fashion, uh, a lot of the kids out there now have the uh, little motors on the side of the skateboard, and mm. oh, so yeah. they're just whizzing
3: yeah. through
0: campus. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, technology's (laughs)
2: definitely changed. Oh, that's wild. Well, Doug, thanks so much for taking time here today to join us. Uh, We really appreciate uh, you kind of walking down memory lane with us and sharing some stories and uh, just uh, appreciate you being part of the Purdue basketball family and uh, looking forward to getting you back here to Mackey sometime soon.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you guys. And again, just a, a big shout out to all the Purdue fans and and everybody and all you guys that, you know, behind the scenes doing so much for the program, just uh, just know that myself, Becky, our family, um, we are eternally thankful for the service and just the honor it was to to be a Purdue Boilermaker, always be.
2: That's great. Well, thanks again, Doug. We appreciate it. And uh, to all our fans listening, appreciate you guys tuning in. That was episode 82 here on the podcast. And I want to remind everyone until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.
1: My friends, good night everyone.